0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you're listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. In my next lifetime, I'm going to come back as one of those people who are eternally grateful for everything. They can always find the good and the gratefulness in whatever they encounter in whatever season of life that they are in. I am not that person in this lifetime. This quarantine we're on week five. I am very blessed to be healthy. I am very blessed to be safe. I'm very blessed to be secure. Everyone is not. I am thankful for those things. And still, I'm ready to get out this damn house. When I came to DC five weeks ago, intending to stay for two weeks, I had a short bucket list of things that i had always wanted to do. I've never walked along the Tidal Basin. It's been years since I walked from the Lincoln Memorial down the reflecting pool to the monument to the Capitol. So I woke up yesterday. I decided to drive downtown and walk the mall, walk the Tidal Basin. I walked from the Air and Space Museum to the Kennedy Center, then from the Kennedy Center to the Lincoln Memorial, down the reflecting pool to the World War II Memorial, up to the monument and to the Capitol. It was about six and a half miles total. It was a good walk. It felt wonderful to be out the house. It was still eerie and weird because there were very, very few people outside. And while I was out, I was cheerful, even though it was dystopian and weird with the lack of people, because this would be high tourist season. It's like, where is everyone? Oh, they're they're locked inside their houses. But it was really good to be out and get fresh air and, and get some beautiful shots If you follow me for a while, you know one of my hobbies is photography. I did all my shots on my iPhone. I didn't carry my Nikon with me yesterday, but it was good to be out. And then on the way home, I stopped by Joe's Seafood, which is like my favorite happy hour spot, to pick up food to bring home. It almost felt normal. Almost. But then I woke up today and was like, now what? I'm trying to be positive, I'm trying to be productive. And I am. I've been writing a lot. I'm working on a couple projects at once. I usually don't do more than one at a time, but I have all this free time. But I really just miss normalcy. This alternate life that we're living, trying to make the most of, it's just overwhelming sometimes. All of this happened very suddenly. And the dates allegedly that it ends are indefinite. The hairball He's back on this, you know, open up the economy, open up America, America reopens, kick. I don't understand how that happens when when the death toll is is more than a thousand people a day. The president's talking about opening up some places even before May 1st. Meanwhile, other places are extending. The mayor of Los Angeles laid out a six point plan like we need these things to open, one of them being readily available testing, which doesn't exist. I don't understand how we get released from our houses without testing or a vaccine. Once we start mingling again, won't the virus just spread rapidly again? The mayor of Los Angeles, Garcetti, was like, yeah. Rethink any dreams you had of concerts or festivals or mass gatherings, sports. Let that go until 2021. New Orleans, their mayor was like, yeah. So I'm going to strongly recommend that there are no mass gatherings, which means, you know, if the city ain't giving you a permit. Essence Fest have been trying to hold on to the fall. Bless their hearts. They announced today that's a wrap, which was kind of expected. Sports. They got to figure that out. My dad is suffering without his sports. For the good of the culture, men need to see a ball thrown. They need they need the distraction. That's their reality TV. That's their soaps. This culture of men not being able to watch a ball being thrown, they just be sitting online talking crazy shit, antagonizing women. I'm like, ain't there a game? on? Oh, there is no game on. You're not okay. Some dude was online talking about, hey, women, don't you think you should finally wash that bra? You clearly don't have and have never had regular access to a woman. Because if you think that women are sitting in their houses in their bras, that's nuts. Women don't wear bras at home. Stop that. You just want to say some reckless shit because you're bored. Antagonize women online because you're bored. Men need to watch the ball being thrown. And then they need to watch other men talk about the ball that was thrown. Or kicked. Ball hurtling somewhere. They need help. Speaking of people antagonizing others. Let's talk about the dumb mofos in Michigan. A bunch of white men who look just like the type of backwoods white men you would expect to do some ish like this, decided to go protest at the Capitol because they're mad about the stay-at-home orders and they want the economy to reopen. Do y'all not understand that everyone wants the economy to reopen? There are pictures circulating of a hospital in Detroit where they've run out of storage for the bodies. So they showed the morgue where the bodies are piled up on, on the beds. They're also on the floor. They're scattered about the room because they don't have enough space. They have so little space that they turned another room that is for sleep observation. You know how folks go in and they, they sleep overnight to see if they have sleep apnea or some other disorder. That kind of room has become an overflow room for the bodies. They had one of the bodies in a body bag sitting up in a chair. This is happening in your backyard, in your state. And you want to go protest how the economy should be open? Sirs, do you understand the result of opening up the economy is you or someone you love sitting upright in a body bag in the sleep room? Is that what you want for your life? Is that what you want for your death? And then all these people are gathered during this protest, practicing no social distancing. I was looking at the video of them, the same way I'd be looking at videos of all them people who insist on still going to church in the middle of a pandemic. I don't want y'all to die, but y'all gonna die. There is some really prominent pastor who was talking about like, this is a hoax or and God will protect me and... It was in the New York Times. Pastor who defied social distancing dies after contracting COVID-19, church says. Mark Lamont Hill posted this on his page. A Virginia bishop who defied social distancing measures and vowed to keep preaching, saying, quote, I firmly believe that God is larger than this dreaded virus. He did. He blackened it. I take no delight in that. Stupid people doing stupid shit that gets them killed. I take no delight in people's death. I do hope folks would actually learn from it though. But apparently not because people dropping like flies. And you got these mofos out in Michigan who decide, I think I want to go protest because I want the economy to open up. Good luck with that. I had stopped watching the news for a minute because I was like, it's just too much. And then I felt uninformed. So I started tuning back in and I'm just like, I've decided that it's really genuinely reality TV to him. Like he, Trump, has some weird disassociation from what's actually occurring and the impact of what he does. Like he just wants the attention and, and the fallout from it is of little consequence to him. He does not care. Was it 15,000, 20,000? The numbers go up so quickly, but comfortably. Let's say 15,000 people. 15,000 people are dead from a virus that could have been prevented. And Trump does press conferences talking about his ratings. They're up there with the season finale of The Bachelor. 750 people die every day in New York, his hometown. He sits up at this press conference and just says the wildest shit in the middle of a global pandemic He decides to do a whole press conference on drugs entering the country. Yesterday, it was he can open the country, the country that he actually never closed. Another day, it's will he, will he not fire Dr. Fauci? There was a day he wanted to quarantine New York City. America, season finale. Every day is a new episode. What will the storyline be today? He's going to put his name on the checks which has never been done before. The IRS is an independent agency, but he decided to put his name in the memo line. And he was like, yeah, okay, it'll delay the checks by a couple days, but you know, I want my name on it. He's using stimulus checks as campaign paraphernalia. He wants everyone who physically receives a check to see his name on it. And I guess he thinks that's going to sway people to vote for him. You can send me a million dollar check with his name on it. I'm going to deposit that shit. But I wouldn't vote for Trump still. Stop it. That's that's ludicrous. But I guess he thinks people will. And I guess some folks are dumb enough too. Just when I think people can't get any more stupid, GQ just dropped its latest interview with Kanye West. He's on the cover of the May issue. It's everything that Kanye's last few interviews have been. He's more into real estate and architecture now than fashion. And he boasts about how he's going to vote for Trump because Trump is better for real estate. Yeah, I will never understand how the same man who stood up and said George Bush doesn't like black people. I will never understand how that person became the Kanye West that we see now. The person who clown about black men getting on and leaving your ass for a white girl. He became the thing he loathed. That will never make sense to me. I didn't even make it all the way through the GQ interview. Like I tried just for the sake of, you know, I have a podcast about pop culture. I'm supposed to be informed about these things. But I was like, yeah, no, it's... What was that movie? A Beautiful Mind. That's kind of what it reminded me of. So remember how you watched A Beautiful Mind and then midway through the movie, you were like, wait, is he crazy or am I crazy? Like, are we crazy? Who's crazy? That's how I felt reading the article. I was like, w- wh- what? It's Kanye. I don't know how Kim puts up with that shit. You can say very many things about Kim Kardashian West. She might sell her soul. She might sell her ass. But she's not a stupid woman. God bless her. Everyone deserves God's blessings. Including Kim. Whose karma for cultural appropriation is Kanye. That's a steep price to pay. Jesus. I'm not even supposed to be talking about Kanye. I'm supposed to be talking about Trump. And I wanted to make one more point about Trump and these goddamn press conferences, which are really just rallies to his base. He can't hold rallies anymore. It would literally kill the people who would vote for him. But he does these press conferences and he complains about the press. And I'm like, sir, if you hate the press that much, stop doing press conferences. Or don't answer the questions. You don't want to interact with the press? Don't. But instead, he chooses to engage with them because he gets a kick out of antagonizing them. And his base thinks it's really cute to throw a temper tantrum every day. That's his version of draining Washington's swamp, talking crazy to the press. People have been like, oh, he needs to stop them. CNN, MSNBC need to turn away. CNN has been so upset with the press conferences. They started posting like belligerent shit. As their captions for the press conference. One of them said Trump uses task force briefing to try and rewrite history on coronavirus response. Trump melts down in an angry response to reports he ignored virus warnings. Angry Trump turns briefing into propaganda session. Trump falsely claims media ignored coronavirus in January, February. Go to CNN.com for full archive. As many people call for the press conferences not to be covered, I actually think they should continue to air the press conferences. Because every time I see how awful he is, even in the middle of a pandemic, it makes me want to act. It makes me want to vote. It makes me want to register other people to vote. I'm not excited, not even a little bit about Biden. But I am super excited about getting rid of Trump, watching him act a whole ass all these years, but especially in the middle of this pandemic, motivates me. I want to make calls. I want to register folks. I want to drive people to the polls. I want to do what is ever necessary and possible. If you work for a voting organization and you can hear the sound of my voice via this podcast, hit me up. I want to help. Use me. Utilize me. Activate me. I want Trump out. In other political news, Bernie Sanders has officially dropped out of the race or suspended the campaign, as people in political circles like to say. He has endorsed Joe Biden. So he's trying to swing the Bernie bros in Biden's direction. Elizabeth Warren, who suspended her campaign little over a month ago, she's also endorsed Biden, which I was like, "Mm, okay. I mean, I guess it was necessary to like swing their base over to Biden. I guess it made a difference for some people. Like during the last stretch, I was most interested in Warren than everyone else because she had a plan for everything. She seemed like the smartest person at the table to me, but I didn't need their endorsements. Like I'm very anyone but Trump. If the person is breathing, Someone asked me the other day, they were like, remember when we thought George W. Bush was the worst thing that could happen? Yes. History has been kind to GW. I remember thinking he was an international doof. And now I would gladly, gladly take George Bush. Gladly. I could never have imagined saying that 10 years ago. But now there's much conversation about who Joe Biden's number two will be, who his vice president will be. Congressman Clyburn had publicly suggested that Joe Biden have a black woman as his running mate. Biden said in a debate with Sanders, he committed to having a woman as vice president. Lots of names floated around. Kamala Harris. Stacey Abrams. Who's the uh, the governor of Michigan? She's been getting a lot of attention lately. I can't remember her name. Gretchen Whitmer. That's Michigan. Klobuchar. Elizabeth Warren. Hmm. Stacy Abrams just did a really good interview with Elle magazine. She was interviewed by Melissa Harris Perry. Perry asked her point blank if she would be interested in being VP. And then she editorializes in the piece. Experienced politicians know there is a right way to answer questions about pursuing higher office, be demure, redirect, convey vague interests while insisting never to have given it serious consideration. But Stacey Abrams does not give the expected answer when I ask if she would accept an offer from former President Joe Biden to serve as his 2020 running mate. Abrams says, quote, yes, I would be honored. I would be an excellent running mate. I have the capacity to attract voters by motivating typically ignored communities. I have a strong history of executive and management experience in the private, public, and nonprofit sectors. I've spent 25 years in independent study of foreign policy. I am ready to help advance an agenda of restoring America's place in the world. If I am selected, I am prepared and excited to serve. End quote. Well, I guess that's why the New York Times called Abrams, quote, and unquote, the obvious choice for vice president. If you get a chance, you should really check out the L piece. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but between Perry's writing and Abrams resume and quotables. Speaking of quotables, I'll read you one more from the piece. Abrams says, quote, I've learned that failure is not permanent. My responsibility is to not let failure dissuade me from my core obligations. Sometimes we pursue a challenge thinking it is about our victory, but we don't know the true purpose until later. Hmm. I like her. Everyone, of course, is not excited about seeing a woman as vice president, woman of color or otherwise. There's been lots of people talking about New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. They're talking about he should be vice president. I like the way that he's leading not just New York, but the country in this moment. I also think that he is nobody's number two and that he and Biden would make a terrible partnership. Joe Biden is great as a vice president. I don't really see him as a president. I see him as Barack Obama's number two. He's likable. He was Uncle Joe. When I refer to Barack Obama, I jokingly call him dad. I refer to him sometimes as Father Barack. The difference between your father and your uncle, your father, if he was halfway decent, makes responsible, reasonable, rational decisions. He has corny dad joke moments, but your father is not someone you laugh at. He's someone you laugh with. He's someone that provides you with direction. He's a good leader. Your uncle, Uncle Joe, which is what we used to call Biden, is fun. He lets you do all the shit dad wouldn't. The shit mom definitely won't let you do. The shit dad be like, nah, you ain't doing that until you're older. Your uncle be like, sure, you can do that right now. Cuomo is a dad. He can't play number two to an uncle. He can't. It would drive him crazy. It would drive Joe crazy. It would drive the American public crazy. And Cuomo's repeatedly said, I do not want to be vice president. They keep trying to force this man. The same way they did Michelle Obama. They were like, don't you want to run for office? Don't you want to do something? And she's like, leave me be. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal, Lance Morrow wrote it. He said, quote, the Democrats overriding imperative is to oust Donald Trump. Their other ambitions, putting a woman on the ticket, the Green New Deal, Medicare for all should be put on hold. They are irrelevant to the purpose at hand. The Democrats job isn't to persuade the already persuaded, but to attract and reassure the unwoke the millions of independents, conservative Democrats, and discomfited Republicans who urgently seek a decent, plausible alternative to Mr. Trump. This election will be decided by a plague on both their houses. This is the opening of an article advocating for why Cuomo should be Biden's vice president. I kind of take offense with the idea that putting a woman on the ticket is something that should be put on hold or that that isn't something that would persuade people to vote. I think like this this man, Lance Murrow, and just so you know, I looked this up, he's 80 years old and he's white. So he can take for granted that someone who looks like him and protects the interests of old white men is going to be on the ticket. So, it's not a big deal to him. But as a black woman, as a black person, as a woman person, it actually is important to me that a woman be on the ticket. I'm going to vote for Biden either way, but I would be much more excited about him if there was someone who represented some aspect of me on the ticket. And I get it. Cuomo has the attention of the country right now. And if he could run for president, that would be amazing. I think to insist on adding a man to the ticket after, one, Joe Biden has said that he wants a woman, two, after this man has insisted, Cuomo, that he doesn't want the job, and then three, after all of these qualified women are available and willing and ready to go to just ignore them for someone that's just like, I don't want the job, it's rude. We'll see. I just need folks to vote. I just need folks to vote. Have you been following this Bruce Willis, Demi Moore quarantine situation? Bruce Willis and Demi Moore were married for 13 years. They divorced in 2000. They're isolating together with their adult children. Three girls plus two of the daughter's boyfriends and Demi Moore's assistant. Hearing that part of the story doesn't sound crazy at all. Here's where things get wild. Bruce Willis is married and they've been married since 2009. So he's got a good 11 years in with dear Emma. She is quarantined with two daughters and they're Bruce Willis's kids. The girls are eight and five. Demi Moore has been uploading pictures of the brood in her home, her family. They're all together. They're wearing matching pajamas. They've been in isolation together for 29 days. I'm trying to understand it. The wife follows Moore and the children on Instagram, and she's been liking the pictures and leaving comments. Looks like you guys are having so much fun, like very lighthearted things. And I'm trying to figure out, like, how did this happen? I, I, clearly, apparently, I want to say clearly, apparently, the second wife with the young kids is OK with this. And I'm trying to figure out, like, in what world you could say this to me as a wife where I'm going to be like, oh, sure, honey, that's fine. If they were all there together, if the ex-wife and the adult kids were there and then the current wife and the young kids were there, so like the ex-wife and the current wife and then all the children, because they're all siblings, were all together mixing it up, I'd be like, oh, okay, like that's some big, happy, that's some ish the Smiths might do. I see it. I get it. But sir, Bruce, you just went off to be with your first family and you left your second family. Two young kids? You ain't seen them in a month? Short of FaceTime? That's... I had to go look up his net worth to see what kind of checks he might be able to cut that would make that ish okay with me. He's worth about a good 200 mil. And he's been married to her since 2009? With two kids? That's enough for community property in the state of California. It's more than 10 years. I might shut the fuck up for a good chunk of two hundred mil. But you couldn't be on Instagram doing it. There's another picture. The whole family is reading the same book. They have Laura Day's self help book, How to Rule the World From Your Couch. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. It's seven of them all isolated together. I know his wife better be in that house with one nanny per child. And a housekeeper. She be posting stuff. Love and miss you guys. She posted that on Demi Moore's page. I don't understand why your wife is loving and missing you in quarantine. I don't understand why you're not with your wife and small kids. That's just a lot. If you're that into your ex wife, you probably need to be with your ex wife. 200 million or not. Being treated as second class in your own house is hard to put a price on that. That hurts. But you tell me, if you got another theory about how this works that I'm overlooking, something that would make this make sense, let me know. Because these grown people are doing what they do, and they're free to do it. I just don't understand it, and I really would like to. If you have a theory that would make this make sense, please share with the group. I would love to know. We haven't really talked about a lot of TV lately. I started watching All American I saw a bunch of people talking about it on my Facebook timeline. And then I saw it was number two on Netflix. And I was like, the whole country is watching this show? What is this show? I was hooked. I talked about it on Instagram. I called it 90210 for Negroes. I'm not going to give major spoilers. This really bright kid who's kind of like a Michael from The Wire or a Michael Corleone from The Godfather, same difference, plays football for Crenshaw. South Central, L.A., not the greatest neighborhood, but a great football player. A coach from Beverly Hills High, Tay Diggs, comes to recruit really great kid to play football in Beverly Hills. So it's got that sort of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air thing. So he ends up playing for the Beverly Hills coach and moves into his home. The guy has a white wife. And two especially wonderful biracial children. So the new kid, Spencer, has all of the complications of moving into this new home, attending this new school where he feels like a fish out of water because he's got, I mean, he's not, he's from the hood, but he's not hood. The football team obviously resents him. They have their own team formation. And then he comes into the middle of it. He's not part of the pack. He's obviously taking someone's role in the team. So that becomes an issue. It's tons of conflict. These kids have every possible problem you could imagine except alimony. Alcohol abuse, drug abuse, homelessness, abandonment, divorce, like pregnancy, bankruptcy, everything. And their parents, I think nearly all the parents are trash. The white mom might not be trash. She's confusing, but she's not trash. Everybody else, every other parent, you just be like, what were you thinking? Great TV. I thoroughly enjoy it. But that's not the show I want to talk about. show I want to talk about, film I want to talk about, is The Clark Sisters on Lifetime. It came out Saturday before Easter Sunday. I knew very little about The Clark Sisters. I mean, I knew they existed. I knew they were a mega gospel group. I don't think I grasped until watching the film how big they were. I could only name you one Clark sister song. And I only knew that song because Escape covered it. Is my living in vain? I don't know how I missed the Clark Sisters. And more than the Clark Sisters, how I missed their mother, Dr. Maddie Moss Clark. I had never heard her name until I was watching the film. She's kind of like... The Joe Jackson or Matthew Knowles of gospel. Joe Jackson used to beat the shit out of the Jackson Five. Dr. Clark was known for throwing a shoe when people didn't hit their notes. The depiction of her in the film is very hard ass woman. The type of woman you would expect who's being compared to Joe Jackson or Matthew Knowles. Very demanding. Not a lot of sympathy or empathy for her daughters ruled with an iron fist demands excellence. The opening scene of the film is she woke up in the middle of the night. of She heard a chord or a stanza of a song in her head in a dream. So she wakes her daughters up at 3.30 in the morning and has them rehearse. One of the things that I found very interesting about the depiction of her by Agenou Ellis, who... My God, she bodied this role. She became Maddie Clark. Like, it was amazing. There's a video circulating on Instagram of the actual Clark sisters embracing Agenu and thanking her for the way that she embodied their mother. I was thinking a lot about her life. There's a scene, another scene early on in the film. Her husband wants her to attend an event with him. He says that he needs his wife. And she says, well, I have to work. She instructs different choirs around the country. She has the girls out singing. They go on tour. She is doing important work. She's doing the Lord's work. But she's also doing work that gets people paid. And he says something to her like, your ambition means nothing to me. And then he beats her. And it made me think, One, when I saw so many people criticizing her style of parenting, how hard she was on her girls, I was like, yeah, I'd probably be hard, too, if I had a husband who hated my ambition and then beat me over it. That would make somebody a hard ass. That would make someone really angry. I think that's a a normal reaction. It's important to be mindful that when we talk about angry women, especially angry black women, that we discuss the reasons that they are angry. The anger did not just come from nowhere. There's a source of the anger. She leaves the husband. That's when she and the daughters begin to flourish. And I thought about how that's a I wouldn't say common theme. It's just two for right now. The last couple of movies that people have been really buzzy about, the one before this was self made with Madame C. J. Walker, same thing happens. She's married to a man who doesn't have vision. He doesn't have ambition. He doesn't want more. She wants more, 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 more. She's never satisfied. And he was like, isn't this enough? And so eventually she leaves him and she moves north and she gets a big fancy mansion and her business booms. And it made me think about how so many women, in order to be successful, have to go without men. That's not to say that to be a successful woman, you can't have a partner. Plenty of successful women absolutely have supportive partners, wonderful partners. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying there are many women who are ambitious. And some of those women find themselves with men who cannot handle their ambition at all. And in order for those women to be successful, they have to go without their partner. It's something that I see like very often, a lot of my friends even myself, have dated or even been married to people who want to tamp down on their ambition. They don't like for their woman to be bigger than them. They don't like a woman who has too much going on outside her relationship. And I often find that with the guys who talk about a man's role is to lead. They have these long conversations online about what kind of plate a man should be served on. Should it be paper? Should it be ceramic? Who should be served first, the children who are incapable of feeding themselves or the grown-ass man? I see so much underlying conversation that reduces a woman's role to servitude, literal, literal or sexual. And I see it so frequently. And I just wonder, for the people who say that, where does an ambitious woman fit in that scenario? And I don't know how you stay with someone who expects you to... Minimize your dreams. That sounds like hell to me. I've been asked to do it on more than one occasion. I can tell you for everything in my life that I've accomplished that was of note, if I was dating someone with rare exception, there are a couple of people who were just like, do you, like, be great. And they weren't threatened by it. But most of the people that I've dated were, why do you have to write all the time? Why do you have to work so much? Why do you have to, why do you have to, why do you have to, why do you have to? to? And it's just like, I feel like ambitious men aren't asked to have balance. They're just expected to be ambitious and bring home the money and then everything's fine. I think I talked about this with Madam C.J. Walker, so I won't belabor the point. But it's really hard sometimes to be an ambitious woman. A guy I dated not so long ago. Nice guy, attractive guy, same interest, same energy. On paper, it made total sense. I really wanted to invest more in that situation, but the early on draw for him was when I meet people, I just tell them I'm a writer. I don't give them all the other background stuff, like get to know me for who I am. And then at some point, I'll tell you all the extra stuff that goes into it. We had mutual friends in common, so he kind of knew more about me than most people would when you first meet me. So one day he finally said to me, he was like, why didn't you tell me that like you write books or like or you've got this film in production or this podcast is kind of a big deal. Like sitting around talking to my homegirls and they're like, oh, like Demetria was talking about blah, blah, blah. And he was like, I'm sorry, who Demetria? What? That happens surprisingly often. Guys I date will have female friends or a sister or even a mother. And they will be like, oh, yeah, Demetria was blah, blah, blah. This one guy I was dating, got into the car with somebody he was dating and she had my podcast on. And he was like, wait, wait a minute. He was like, you know her? And she was like, no, it's this girl, this podcast is blah, blah, blah. And then she was like, wait, do you know her? <laughs> if I could tell you the number of times something bizarre like that has happened, dating some guy, stop dating him. And then months later, he'll be like, yeah, so I was like at this chick's house and she, I don't think you should take real life people and drastically switch up their stories to the point that it affects the way their legacy is perceived. You do good shit. And I was like, oh, you know, it's just a thing. I just, you know, didn't mention it. Like it's, you know, it's, it's what I do. It's not who I am. And he sent me this picture of Will Smith He's on the red carpet with Jada and she looks phenomenal that night. And he has his hands, he's like, like standing back and he has his hands spread really wide. Like he's showing off Jada as his trophy. Like, look at her, look at how fucking amazing she is. And so he sends me that picture and was like, yo, I love that shit. I was really taken aback by it. It was one of those things that I had to add to the list of things that I want because I wasn't really sure it was possible Until that moment, the Clark sisters brought that whole thing full circle for me. And I was like, oh, so it's not just me. She also made me think about how you get excellence out of your kids. And I had this conversation with my mom. Both my parents are demanding, to put it mildly. Not in the same way of Dr. Maddie Moss's depiction but in the same intensity. But watching the film and then watching how amazing the daughters were because of her extraordinary, some might say, means of discipline. Waking them up at the middle of the night, practicing for hours on end, throwing shoes, talking to them somewhat crazy. But the result was excellence. And you hear that same story. And you hear that same story with Joe Jackson and the Jackson Five. And you hear that story with Beyonce and and Matthew Knowles. And you hear that story with a lot of people who are really, really excellent. Serena and Venus had parents who are borderline fucking crazy, and I kind of wonder is being borderline fucking crazy the only way to produce that level of excellence that you get. With a Beyonce or a Serena and Venus or a Jackson 5 or the Clark sisters? What other way do you get that level of excellence? We as a family hashed out my issues with their parenting somewhere in my late 20s. So I put most of that stuff to bed. I like most of my personality. The feeling of not being good enough. As much as it sometimes can make me feel like shit, it's also the thing that drives me to do better. I'm sure there's a constructive way to instill that in your kid. I don't know what that is. But sometimes I wonder if the very demanding parents, I mean, it's a lot. And it'll cost you in therapy as an adult. But is there some good in it? Genuine question. I don't know. But it's something that the movie made me think about. Last thought, I moved to L.A. because I wanted to turn my books into TV shows and films. I wanted a TV film, a feature film, and a TV series. I decided I'll write it myself. So that's why I started taking screenwriting classes. As someone who reviews TV film from a consumer standpoint and then reads all of the reactions That people have to TV and film. And then as someone. Who's learning TV and film. There's a gigantic disconnect. Between. What artists are encouraged to make. And what. Consumers. Want to. Consume. For instance. Self-made. A story. Based on. The Life of Madam C.J. Walker. The Based On allows the creators to take any liberty they really want with the story. And for that story, they took plenty. They created a fictional rivalry based on colorism. In the film, Madam C.J. Walker's daughter is presented as a lesbian, which she was not known to be in life I don't think you should say someone's a lesbian if they weren't. And if someone is a lesbian, I don't think you should say they were straight if they weren't. I think your sexuality and who you love is an important part of who you are. So that was weird. In the film, Madam C.J. Walker is presented as stealing her million dollar product from her competitor. It disparages the legacy of Madam C.J. Walker. I would say she deserved better than that. but. As artists, as creators of story, we're encouraged to take story and give it the most conflict and the most drama possible. But the consumer says that they don't want that. If you look at most of the complaints about the Madam C. J. Walker story, most of the complaints were about all the things that were inaccurate in the story. People wanted to know, well, why couldn't you just say this happened? Why did you have to make this? Why did you have to do that? I had issues with the things that were disparaging. But then I think about the Clark sisters movie, nearly all the reviews in publications are just people posting status updates or comments. I thought it was wonderful. It looked good. All the acting was good. The music was good, the storyline. But one of the issues that people have with the film is a funeral scene. One of the daughters, Nisi, is estranged from the family. She shows up at the funeral and she acts an ass, as it would happen since all of this happened in early 90s, mid 90s, there's video of the funeral on YouTube, no less. So people went and they looked up the video on YouTube and they were comparing to say, well, this happened in real life within the film, they said. And in real life, she was on the funeral program, but in the movie, she wasn't. They did this like play-by-play comparison. And why would the movie change whether she was on the program or not? Why would it say that she wasn't when she was? And I get it. I think it does make a... Character difference, it's one thing to crash and act a fool. That's two violations. Being invited and then acting a fool is one violation. Small detail, but it's things like that that heighten the conflict in a story. But it's stuff like that that audiences are like, no, that's not what we want. But that's the type of thing that's drilled in your head as a writer. I think about that a lot as I try to craft story. Another thing people always say that they want is they want to see upstanding, wholesome relationships. They want to see black people happy and in love, which is nice to see, no doubt. But two people who primarily get along and don't have a lot of issues, there's no conflict, which means there's no story. It doesn't have to be struggle love. It doesn't have to be someone cheating. It doesn't have to be someone abusing or betraying. But if nothing happens, then where does the story go? Beth and Randall just being perfect for three seasons gets boring. It's cute for a season, but as much as people complain about Randall currently being an ass on This Is Us, he has to be. Otherwise, there's no story and people lose interest. But I love that Clark Sisters movie. I thought it was good. And I admit, I side with the audience on the funeral situation even as I was watching it I was like did they really expect her not to come to her own mother's funeral because as a sister I could forgive you for crashing the funeral I could forgive you for acting an ass on stage at the funeral I probably could not forgive you if you didn't show up to our mama's funeral but that's just my theory on siblings because I'm an only child anyway That's our show for the week. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you need some Ratchet and Respectable in your life, between this episode and the next, you can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Demetria L. Lucas. You can also catch me on my blog, DemetriaLLucas.com. We'll be back next week with another new episode of Ratchet and Respectable. Please subscribe to make sure you get it as soon as it's available. Talk soon. Bye.